Hi, my name is Caroline, and I'm so glad that you're joining us on our Grace Journey podcast. At Grace Church, we are all about knowing God and reflecting His way. I hope this sermon will do just that by feeding your mind with the knowledge of God and engaging your heart to live a life reflecting His grace and truth. So if you've been at Grace for a little while, you may know that in October we spend uh, this month talking about stewardship, which may make some of you think, oh, geez. But the idea here is that we need to talk about this on a regular basis because we as stewards, that is um, distributors of, or users of all that God has given us, not just finances, but everything, we don't talk about it on a regular basis. We just forget and we think everything's ours and we can do what we want. And instead, I think God is calling us all the time not just in October, but all the time, to think about what it means for us to be people who uses what he's given us in every capacity. So this month, as we talk about stewardship, we want to really specifically focus on this one word, this theme of faithfulness. What does it mean to be faithful? And today I want to talk a little bit about faithfulness as a lifelong calling. As I was thinking about this idea, it occurred to me that one of the great things about God, one of the things about the Lord that I very much appreciate is how he hides the future from us. Now, I think many of us, myself included, have thought in our life, maybe even currently, wouldn't it be great if you had a sneak peek of the future? If you knew what was coming your way, maybe like, okay, God, I don't want to know everything. I don't want to know the time of my death. It's a little freaky, but maybe just like the next five years, unless I'm going to die in the five years, they don't tell me. We want to know how things are going to turn out a little bit. But I will also say that the longer I've done life, the more I realize that God keeping this knowledge from me is actually a mercy. It's actually a gift. Because when I don't know what I'm about to face, when I don't know what's coming my way, it causes me to turn to and press into God. It causes me to come to Him and say, I don't know what's going to come, but you do. And I can trust you with all of that. Your plan, your provision for me. Knowing that we need to turn to God and trust Him means that we don't need to turn to Fortune tellers here, we don't need to look at our horoscope. We need to look at any of that nonsense, and that's what it is. Because all of that's a distraction from what we really need to do, and that is just trusting God. I don't know if you know this, but in Scripture, God has given us over 3,000 promises about who He is, about what we do need to trust in. None of those things are about what's going to happen next. He gave us those 3,000 promises so that we would know who he is, but I think really powerfully, I'd like to talk just for a second here about why he gave us those promises. I think he gave us those promises to keep you and I from worry. God has given us all these promises so that we wouldn't worry. He knows how he made us. He knows who we are. It's why so many of those promises, they start with two words, fear not, because he knows that we fear everything. We shouldn't. We shouldn't. We don't need to. 
The Bible says that worry is a sin. It's a sin because right at that moment of worry, the second that we begin to worry is the same second that we quit trusting. It's the moment that we say, we're not going to trust, we're just going to worry. To which some of you would say, oh no, Father Jonathan, don't worry, I can do both at once. I've tried. It doesn't work. The moment we trust is the moment that worry dies, and the moment that we take up worry is the moment that trust has no place left. Brothers and sisters, the great news that I want you to hear today is that God intends us to live a life free from worry. Free from worry. Now, I want to be clear here. That doesn't mean free from concern. That doesn't mean that you're suddenly complacent and like, oh, whatever comes, comes, that'll be fine. No, that's irresponsible. But he does promise us a life free from worry if we embrace a life of trust in him. In fact, I would argue that you can be free from worry in spite of all the uncertainties. You can still be certain and assured that God has got you in the palm of his hand. You don't have to know the way forward. You don't have to know what's coming next. What you do have to know is God. You got to know that he's never going to lead you astray. astray. And when you know, when you know that he's not going to lead you astray, you can face an uncertain future with confidence. Not in you, but in him. That is what Paul is writing about in our Second Timothy reading today. I don't know if you have looked at 2 Timothy before, but if you haven't, let me just encourage you to read it today. It's a very short letter. I love 2 Timothy for one specific reason. It is such a meaningful letter because it was written at a point at the end of Paul's life. Paul's been through these incredible journeys. He's now imprisoned, and he knows that he's probably going to go and have his last day in court at the end of which he's going to find his final penalty of death. And so, he writes one last letter. Now, if you've read some of his other letters, the letter to Ephesus or the letter to Corinth, those are fiery letters. He's telling them to shape up, get their life in order. When you read 2 Timothy, it's a love letter. It's not a letter to get your life right, but it's a letter to Timothy to say, dude, I'm going away. I want to tell you some stuff. If you had one letter left to write, what would you write and who would you write it to? This is who Paul wrote his letter to, to his friend, Timothy. And he says, my time, the time of my departure is at hand. He says that in chapter four, actually. And so he tells him, look, I've seen a lot along the way. My race is done, but your race, Timothy, is just starting. And so I want to give you some of the things that I've learned along the way. And so what he tells him is, not to be afraid. Not to be afraid specifically of God. Yes, you're supposed to have holy reverence of God. Yes, you're supposed to be in awe of him. But there should be no fear of God. In fact, fear should not be a part of the Christian life. Now, I'm not talking about like the fear or terror that has its place in our life in a momentary situation. Maybe when you get those chills up your spine and you're afraid for a second, I get it. But I'm talking about a spirit of fear to which God says, no, I'm not giving you a spirit of fear. 
You are not called to live in a life of fear. That is not a life in God when you live a life in fear. So Paul is telling that to Timothy. Something also that you may not know right away from um, this letter is that Paul isn't writing this letter from a Hilton or a Hyatt. He's not writing it from some great resort on the Black Sea. He's in prison. The last prison he's going to be in before he dies. And it would be easy to say, God, where are you? What are you doing? Why are you not helping me while I'm in jail? And I can imagine that Paul had some friends with air quotes who said to him, look, Paul, all you got to do is pray. If you pray, if you believe, God will change your situation. And if he doesn't change your situation, well, then maybe there's some sin in your life. Maybe there's some things you need to confess. And if you confess those sins, then maybe your situation isn't changing because you don't have enough faith. You ever heard that before? You need to have enough faith. What, what does that mean? If you know what that means, you come up and preach this sermon. What is enough faith? Because I do not know what that means, and I'm tired of hearing it. How do you measure faith? Ounces, gallons, yards? What do you do? I don't know how to measure it. But here's what I do know. You and I have no idea how much faith you have until it's been tested. You do not know how much faith you have until it has been tested. And then when it is tested, you discover that you either had more than you thought or you have a lot less than you thought. It's one or the other. Rarely in people of testing say, oh, you know what, I'm doing pretty good. The testing is where you discover how much of a reservoir you have or a deficit you contain. And here's the thing I know about that when, that when that testing comes. It's never about how much faith you've got. It is always about who your faith is invested in. Did you hear that? It's not about how much you've got. It's about who your faith is in where you have put your faith. And anybody tells you, anybody who tells you that you need to have more faith or tells you how to increase the measure of your faith, well, I think those folks are just taking what is the glory of God and giving it to you and get, putting it on yourself. That should be for God alone. You and I don't need a wonderful faith. We need a faith in a wonderful God. That is very different. Nobody that I've ever met has a wonderful, amazing, staggering faith. Instead, the people that I admire have a wonderful faith in a wonderful, amazing God. Those are the folks that I admire. It's God who's wonderful, not our faith. So Don't take that glory for yourself. My faith, in fact, is very small. Small, as the gospel, as the gospel says, as a mustard seed. And what I want you to notice here is not this fact that the mustard seed is so very small and it's the smallest of all seeds. That's not the point of actually what Jesus is saying in the gospel today. What he's really teasing out here is when you take this little seed and you plant it in the ground, it grows very fast. A mustard seed goes from this little thing to a whole bush or shrub very, very quickly. And that's the point that Jesus wants to make, that when you take your faith and you accept the will of God, when you take your faith and you say, not my will, but yours, God, suddenly it, it's like this jet fuel gets imbued into your faith. It grows so fast, much faster than what you thought. 
because God then accepts that faith and does something with it. He gives us faith to accept what we don't understand. doesn't mean you're going to understand it, but you can have the faith to accept what is going on around you because he is faithful. He is dependable. He is trustworthy. That's what we say. That's what it means to be a Christian. So our confidence is in the ability of God, that God is in fact able. And when you are confident that God is able, when that is your faith, you will not have worry anymore. That's when your worry will diminish. You will be able to say like Paul says, I know the one in whom I am believing. That's what he says in 2 Timothy today. And then he writes these words, I am sure. That is beautiful. I am sure. Matter of fact, another way to say that is, I am convinced. Paul was convinced that Jesus Christ was going to care for him. Even though all of his circumstances said no way, Paul was convinced, he was sure that God had this. Are you? Are you convinced that God has your life? Are you absolutely convinced of the same truth that Paul was convinced about, that God is wonderfully faithful? You know, if there were three words in the Bible that I could just sort of remember always and, and, and remember in those moments when life is so, so difficult, the three words I want to remember and I would love for you to remind me of when life goes wrong, and I will try to remind you of when you're in a hard place, is this. He is able. He is able. Those are the three words that we need to hear more often than anything else, that God is able, that he is present. He is continuous right now. It wasn't that he was able or that he will be able or that maybe God's able. He is able. He's not incapacitated by time. He hasn't lost his touch. He's not a little foggy today. He knows what's going on. He is able. Just like we were once able to do things, but then suddenly we become less able to do them. That's what it means to be human. It's not what it's like to be God, but we apply that to God. I was thinking about this a little bit for myself, and when my kids were little, I loved to wrestle with them. I don't know if you wrestle with children. When uh, we had our first kid and I wrestled with her, I won every time. Maybe I'm a good wrestler, but I think I'm just bigger. So then we had kid two, I still won. Kid number three, I'm still winning, but I had to be craftier because there were more of them. And then I remember one day, it was four on one, we were wrestling. I remember one day they were all piled on me and I couldn't move. And I thought to myself, I am not able. This probably needs to be the last time we wrestle because they had complete domination and dominion over me. We are not like God. We have limitations. What you might have once been able to do, you cannot do as much anymore. That's the human experience. God is not like us. He is always able. He never ceases to be able. He never diminishes in his ability. Do you believe that? Do you trust that? Paul does. Paul sees that in prison. Paul says he is able. 
he is committed to me, Paul says, and I trust him for that. And so Paul gives his life to him yet again, even here at the end. There's this key principle here in Scripture that I want you to take home today. I'd love for you to remember this. Whatever you give to God, He takes. Let me say that again. Whatever you give to God, He takes. And when He takes it, He cleanses it. And when He cleanses it, He then fills it with His presence. And then whatever He fills with His presence, He then uses back into the world. That's how it works. Whatever you give, He cleanses, he fills, and then he uses. That's the principle that God uses over and over and over again in Scripture. Because of that, you'll discover that whatever you hand over to God, whatever it is that you give to Him, no longer needs to be an area of worry. Whatever you give up and you commit to the Lord, you can quit worrying about it because He's got it. He's going to cleanse it. He's going to fill it. And then he's going to use it. So as this month we talk about this idea of faithfulness, as we talk about this idea of what it means to be a steward with our finances and with our lives and with all that God has put into us, I would love for you to think about what you have given to God and what you are keeping for yourself. Because here's what I know. If I give everything in my life to God except my finances, my finances will be the one area of problem in my life. If I give everything in my life to God except my business, my business becomes the problem area of my life. If you give everything in your life to God except your family, your family becomes the problem of your life. It doesn't matter what you choose to hold on to. I have followed the Lord long enough to know that anything that I hold on to and I refuse to give to Him, that will become the problem. So the question I have for you is, what are you going to hold on to? What do you think that you need to keep control of because God can't handle it? Because, I'm here to tell you yet again, He is able. So you keep it at your own risk. I don't know what the future holds. Not for me, not for you, not for any of us. I don't have answers to your problems, let alone my problems. But I don't have to. I don't need to know what difficulties are coming my way. Because whatever do come my way, or your way, or our way, we don't face them alone. We don't face them by ourselves. We don't travel this life by, our, by ourselves. We travel them with the one who is able. So I am convinced, I am persuaded like Paul is. So I will commit everything I have to him. Which means that whatever my future is, I face it with absolute confidence. Do you? Do you have that confidence? I would love for you to examine all aspects of your life. Obviously, I want you to look at your finances. And I, want, I would love for you to ask yourself today, are you tithing? That is giving 10% of your income. Here's the, uh, both the good and the hard news. God told you to do it. He's not asking for 10%. He told all of us to do that. And I will say that years ago when Marissa and I made that commitment, it was very difficult at first. But 
I have discovered that he is able. And the one in whom I am believing, he's committed to us. So I will not worry about it. And I have not for many years now. I want that for you too. Very much I want that for you too. I don't want you to have fear. I don't want you to have worry anymore. There is something you can do. You can give it to God. So I want you to commit everything to him in faithfulness. So let me pray for us. Father, we uh, first just begin by asking for forgiveness for the things that we are holding back for you, from the things that we think we need to continue to control. Lord, I pray that you would bring to mind right now all the areas of our lives that are problems and help us to be honest and ask, as we ask ourselves, are they problems because we haven't given them to you? Whatever problems that we face today, us to let go of them and give them to you because you you always have been. It's we who are deficient. It's we who are faithless. It's we who quit. Help us to yet again give you everything, every part of our lives, leaving no corner in the dark, leaving no crumb, no stone unturned that we wouldn't hold any of it back for ourselves. Forgive us for that and help us to give it all to you knowing that you know what's next for us, and we don't need to know, because you've got us. You are wonderful. And Lord, as we experience that goodness, that graciousness, help us to return thanks, tell the people around us why we no longer worry. Trust in your name we pray. Thanks again for listening. To find out more about what's going on here at Grace Church, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, our website, graceocala.org, or of course, on our campus here in sunny Ocala, Florida. Go in peace.